17, Luke 17, on a highway leading into Yankton, South Dakota, there's a sign that says this, Yankton, South Dakota, the home of 30,000 friendly people and a few sore heads. The truth is that all of us at times are one of those sore heads, right? Mostly because we've forgotten exactly what God's done for us. And uh, I read another story about a, a guy who he was known for his complaining, and he inherited a, a large amount of money. And so he decided to take that money and go buy a farm. And when he got it, he complained about how you know he complained about how the money was not as much as it, as he thought it was going to be. And then he bought the farm, and the farm just wasn't you know what he thought it was going to be either. And it just nothing ever lived up to his expectations. But he bought this farm, and he asked his wife what what he thought she what she thought he should name it. And, and without even thinking twice, she said, you ought to call it Belly Acres, right? <laughs> Sadly, that's the way that a lot of Americans live today. We live in the greatest country in the world, and yet we live in such a complaining and unthankful society. Uh, that's a lot of what we find here in this story in Luke chapter 17. We're going to pick it up there in verse number 11. <clears throat> came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They're not found that returneth to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. I think it's a tribute to modern medicine that we know very little about this disease of leprosy. Um, mostly, I, I don't think I probably would have ever heard about leprosy had I not read about it in the Bible. And thankful for medicine that, you know, most of us have never seen a leper. We know only what we read about it in the Bible. If we had lived in those days, we would know a great deal more about it. Uh, in Bible times, it was one of the most feared diseases in the world. It, it, it was deadly. It was incurable. It was hopeless. And if somebody got that disease of leprosy, it was basically a death sentence. There was no cure to leprosy. So much did they fear this disease that anybody suspected of having leprosy was banished from society, and they were sent out to what was known as a leper colony. And there are still leper colonies today. People who get leprosy are still banished uh, from society, either until they get well or until they die, because it is a very, uh, uh, it's a very deadly disease still, but it's also very contagious. And so people are still banished from it, from society. But we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But what a poignant question Jesus asked. One grateful, healed leper came back to thank Jesus for his healing. And Jesus asked him what almost seems like a rhetorical question because Jesus, he's God. He already knew the answer to that question. He said, but where are the nine? Didn't I heal ten and only one came back? Where are the other nine? And that's the question that I want to pose to you this morning in our message. But where are the nine? Let's pray, and then we'll look at a few things from this passage this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness. I pray that you'd help us to never forget what you've done for us. Most importantly, for what you've done for us in giving us salvation, allowing us to have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. I thank you so much for that privilege. Thank you so much for saving me all those years ago. 
I pray that if there is somebody in here this morning that does not know for sure that they're on their way to heaven, that they'd get that taken care of today. But God, for those who do know that they're saved, I pray that you'd help us to never forget that we'd always be thankful for what you've done for us. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see is this, the disease of the colony. Told you we were going to talk a little bit more about this idea of leprosy. Today, leprosy is actually called Hansen's disease. It was named after the, the doctor who, in 1873, realized what the bacteria was that was causing the leprosy. And so they've, they've called it uh, Hansen's disease, but obviously by his discovery, it made it possible for them to come up with a cure. And they have come up with a cure, which is why leprosy is almost unheard of today. But first, a patch of skin would, would appear a little bit discolored on the person's body. And it might occur on the eyebrow or the nose or the cheek, somewhere on the face a lot of times. But secondly, then that patch would turn white or pink and it would start to just spread rapidly in all directions. And obviously, you know, people would have been pretty familiar, I think, back in those days of what the symptoms were. And could you imagine, I, I don't know how often they would go and stand in front of a bathroom mirror or something like that, but maybe they see their reflection or maybe somebody in their family says, hey, you got a little spot on your chin, and it looks like it's starting to spread. Can you imagine the dread that must have come into that person's mind, even if it happened to just be some kind of little, uh, you know, a rash or something like that, but automatically to think, oh, no, I hope I don't have leprosy. But then the, the third thing that would happen is that that disease would spread to various internal organs. The eyebrows would disappear most of the time. Spongy tumors would, would, would just start showing up all over a person's body. That tissue would begin to disintegrate. The hands and the feet would become deformed. And finally, what ends up happening is those nerve endings just become completely uh, destroyed. And that's, honestly, that's the most critical and the most dangerous stage of leprosy because it means that the person that's affected by leprosy loses all of their ability to feel any kind of pain. So it very well might be, and these leper colonies were, were not... Uh, were not known for being clean. In fact, they were known for being the exact opposite of that. And people, people stayed as far away from a leper colony as they possibly could most of the time. But that person lost the ability to feel pain, and so a, a rat might chew off their finger at night, or a, and the person would never feel it. They might touch a flame, and they would feel no pain. And essentially, many times, eventually the, the, uh, the, the skin would just completely rot off the flesh, and that's how they would die. But often, lepers died because they got themselves into serious, painful situations that they didn't even realize was a serious, painful situation. It was feared because it, was, it produced such terrible results, because it was contagious, because it could not be cured. If you want to turn over to Leviticus chapter 13, you can. Uh, for all of those reasons, Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 really give special uh, instructions concerning the diagnosis and the treatment of leprosy. Now, if there was a diagnosis and a treatment to be had, I would want to read it from the Bible. If I was going to read it anywhere, God knew, obviously. And, you know, you look at all the dietary laws and you look at all the things that, that God gave to Israel. And, of course, you know, for the most part, we don't follow those dietary laws today. But you look at all those laws and all those things, many of those things that God gave them, uh, were things that are common sense to us today, but they didn't know those things back then. God told them exactly what to do, how to stay clean, how to do all these different things. And, and you know, he didn't tell them, hey, here's the germ concept of disease, but everything that he gave them was basically how to take care of those things. And this was one of those situations in Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 42. And if there be in the bald head or bald forehead a white reddish sore, it is a leprosy sprung up in, the bald, in, in his bald head or his bald forehead. 
Then the priest shall look upon it, and behold, if the rising of the sore be white reddish in his bald head or in his bald forehead, as the leprosy appeareth in the skin of the flesh, he is a leprous man, he is unclean. The priest shall pronounce him utterly unclean. His plague is in his head, and the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, and shall cry, unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. Could you imagine being a leper? It's bad enough that you have leprosy and now you've got to deal with it and more than likely you're going to die. But now you have to walk around and if somebody gets anywhere close to you, you have to shout, unclean, unclean. Don't come anywhere closer. I'm unclean. Can you imagine the humiliation and the embarrassment that, that people must have felt knowing that now they had leprosy. And leprosy was not a, uh, a discriminatory disease. It didn't only inhabit the poor neighborhoods. It could, it could happen to anybody. It could happen to kings. It could happen to rulers and princes and everybody else. And it did many times. But they would have to shout, unclean, unclean. And the only way that they could actually be declared clean again was if they were to go and show themselves to the priest. And the priest was able to say, yes, that leprosy is gone from your body. You can, you can go back into society. That paints a very bad and discouraging picture, but there's something else that's just as bad. Do you know in the Bible that leprosy is a picture of sin? There's a lot of pictures in the Bible, a lot of types in the Bible. Leaven is a picture of sin. Leprosy is one of those pictures, and it is a picture of sin in the Bible. Many people today are infected with something much worse than leprosy. They're infected with sin. Most people have gotten good at hiding in their lives, so they think they're okay. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You heard Brother Nitton talking about that this morning, and, and, and we've had a lot of conversations since he's gone back. So I, I don't remember the, uh, exactly w w whether I talked with him about this in a conversation or if he said it this morning. But many times, uh, uh, he, several of these people that he led to Christ, they, they said, I cannot be saved. I, I, I'm a sinner I can't be saved. Well, that's the person that can be saved. Is the person who recognizes that he, has, that he has a problem. You can't get cured from leprosy if you don't think you have it, right? Why would you go to a doctor and ask the doctor to heal your leprosy if you don't think you have it? Everybody else can look at you and see that it's all over. You got these white reddish sores and you got fingers falling off and you're missing a nose and everything else and I don't have a problem, right? And somebody that has sin in their lives, which is all of us, and tries to pretend that they're not a sinner... Is, is, is just as, as obvious as somebody with leprosy that's trying to deny it. We all have that problem. Sin is a disease that has devastating consequences. And it's not only the unlucky few that are affected by it. The whole world is affected by it from the time that we're born. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We sin because we are sinners. We were born sinners. You don't have to teach a baby to lie. You don't have to teach a baby to disobey or to, or to steal. They know how to do it because we are born in sin. And unfortunately for us, there is a punishment for that sin, and it's death. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says that very plainly. For the wages of sin is death. How could a loving God send people to hell? That's a question that I get asked all the time. How could a God who loves somebody send somebody to hell? It would be the same thing as letting one murderer go because we liked him and punishing another because we didn't, right? Sin must be punished no matter how insignificant we may feel 
that it is. But if, if God is to be considered a just God, and God is a very merciful God, God's given us a way to access that mercy. But if God did not punish sin, God would not be the just God that he is. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Well, I'm a pretty good person. Look at me. I do this every single I go to church every single week. In fact, I go to church every single time the doors open. I wear a suit to church. I, I carry my Bible with me. I have a Bible in my car that I carry with me. I, I try to tell people about Jesus Christ. I give money. I do this. I do that. Look at all the good things that I've done. I may not be perfect, but I'm pretty good, right? The Bible says that even the good things that we do, even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Well, how can, it's righteousness. How can, it be, how can it be a filthy rag? Compare it to God's righteousness, and our righteousness looks a whole lot, uh, a whole lot more dingy in that light, doesn't it? You, you, you have to understand that we are all sinners, and that is, a, uh, that is a, a horrible, horrible disease that we're all infected with. And I'm not, I'm not using the disease as, a, as an excuse, as a way for you to get out of it. Well, I just can't help it. I've got this disease. No, we all have this sin problem. And with that sin problem in our lives, we are all destined to spend an eternity in hell. That's the disease of the colony, and every one of us is infected with it, not leprosy, but sin. Number two, we see the deliverance of the captives. Go back to Luke chapter 17 if you turned away from there. With all that as the background, we come to this statement in Luke chapter 17 and verse number 11. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Jesus traveling near the border of Samaria and Galilee, and he, he meets this group of lepers. It's a remote area, just exactly where you would expect to find a leper colony. It's no surprise that Jesus encountered these unfortunate men between Galilee and Samaria. If you look into, your, uh, if, if you, if you look into the back of your Bible even and just look at your maps and see where that is, Galilee was Jesus' home base, but Samaria was another matter altogether. The good Jews avoided Samaria. They, if, they did everything they can to, to they, they, would, they would spend an entire day if they had to going all the way around Samaria rather than taking the time to go through the middle of it if they needed to get to the other side. Years before, some of the Jews had intermarried with the Assyrians and had become, in the eyes of their countrymen, half-breeds and traitors. So they hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated them. They did nothing together. Which is why it's so interesting that you look in John chapter 4 and Jesus here is talking to the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan woman and she was surprised that this Jew, especially this Jew that was so well known like Jesus was, would actually come through Samaria. They were dogs. That's how they considered them. They called them dogs. People just didn't go through Samaria. Here's a colony of lepers joined by their common misfortune and misery their only uniting characteristic is this foul disease that has cast them out of society. And as Jesus enters the village, these men stand afar off, crying out to Jesus for mercy. How did they know who he was? Well, some of them, no doubt, had ended up in that leper colony after Jesus already started his ministry. Maybe they, they had seen some of the miracles that he had done. Maybe they had heard him teaching, and then this disease shows up in their body, and they get banned and they've heard stories of what Jesus Christ has done for other lepers. They've heard stories of what Jesus Christ has done for others who were going through similar diseases. 
But they heard rumors that were floating around this barren countryside. Possibly this man can heal lepers. No doubt they discussed it. Some of them might have even discounted it. It might have even been a whole lot more than 10. But those 10 were the ones who decided they were going to go talk to Jesus. And they were going to cry out for mercy because they knew that if anybody could do anything for them, it was not going to be the doctors. It was not going to be the medicine that they had in that day. It was going to be Jesus and Jesus Christ only. Even if he could do such a thing, what were the chances that he would ever come to their village? But then Jesus came. And there they stand, probably the most, the most ragged choir in Israel, shouting, Jesus, have mercy. Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And you can imagine what those cries must have sounded like. These were desperate men. These were men desperate to have this leprosy healed. No more pitiful sound, I don't think, ever came to our Lord's ears. Have mercy. Have mercy. That was the cry that came from their lips that had, been, that had seen too little mercy and too much condemnation. But then Jesus tells them, go show yourself to the priest. Verse number 14. Go, show yourselves unto the priest. We read back in Leviticus that the only way that they could be declared clean was if they went back to the priest and the priest said, okay, that disease is gone from your body. You can go back into society. Jesus could have cleansed them right there. He could have, he could have told them to go dunk in the Jordan River and give everything you have to the poor. And you know what? They would have done it if they could do it. Because they were desperate to get rid of this disease of leprosy. But it was not their works that, that set them free from this disease. It was their faith. As they walked away from Jesus that day, they were not spotless lepers. They were not spotlessly healed. They walked away from Jesus that day with that leprosy still stuck to their body, still infecting them in every aspect. As they walked away, and not until they walked away to go show themselves to the priest, did that leprosy go away. Look what it says in verse number 14. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Wow, no longer were they bound by the chains of this wretched disease. They were healed and free to go back into a society. Can you imagine what must have gone through their heads? Go show ourselves to the priest? That's too easy. That's not going to work. What if we walk back to the priest and all this, all this stuff is still here? Then we're going to look foolish, and then we're going to even face more condemnation because we're not allowed to go back into society the way we look. Oh, this was all he could do for us? Tell us to go show ourselves to the priest? Can you imagine what must have gone through their minds? But whether they had misgivings about it or not, they decided they were going to go and show themselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. That's exactly the same thing that happens to us when we come to Jesus Christ in faith for salvation. Our sin, not the sinner, is hideous before God. There's, there's nothing that those people had against the lepers, but they wanted nothing to do with their disease. In fact, they probably had family members who were in this leper colony, family members that they loved who were infected with this disease of leprosy. They couldn't come near them or they would get it. They probably had friends and people that they worked with who they used to be very close and who used to play together and who used to work together and who used to do all kinds of things together. They, didn't, they don't hate the person because of what he has become. They hate the disease, and that disease is something that they cannot get close to. But our sin, lots of people feel that, that maybe they've been too bad or maybe they've made too many mistakes in their lifetime for Jesus Christ to ever want to save them. 
They look at, uh, at Jesus Christ as if it's a long shot to ever come to them and offer them hope. But then Jesus came, the Bible says in John 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know what whosoever means? That means me, that means you, that means every single person in this world that wants to come to Jesus Christ can come to Jesus Christ for salvation. There we stand, the most dirty, ragged sinners that could ever stand before God. He's only waiting for us to cry out for mercy, and he'll save us. What an amazing thing. Jesus tells uh, that if we have the faith to believe that he can save us, then he'll do just that. It's not the way that it happens in the Bible necessarily, but it's like he's saying, go show yourself to God. Go show yourself to God. One day when you stand before him, he's not going to see your sin. He's going to see my righteousness. But it takes the faith to believe that when I stand before God, I've never stood before God. I don't know that my sins are forgiven. I trust by faith that they are. That's what faith is. And I trust that one day when I stand before God at the judgment seat and he opens up those books to condemn me for everything that I've done, he's not going to see the list of all those things that I've done. He's going to see the blood of Jesus Christ covering those sins. But it takes faith. And only until I trust in Jesus Christ that he'll do what he said he will do. And if I ask him for that cleansing and I ask him for that healing from my sin and I go before God, that, that sin will no longer be there because of what Jesus Christ did for me. But it takes faith. Oh, Jesus could, could come in here and, 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 ha and, and have a service right down here in front and open up our hearts and scrub them clean. And we can look at them and say, okay, good, my heart's clean now before God. Can't do that. But it takes faith for me to say, hey, he said that that's what he's going to do. I'll trust him. I'll trust him by faith that he's going to cleanse my heart from that sin. See, many people say, that, oh, that, but that sounds so easy. Certainly, we have to, to go to church, or certainly we have to give money to the church, or, 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 or maybe we have to be faithful to church, or I have to be baptized, or I have to faithfully say my prayers, or something just simply throwing myself on Jesus Christ and asking him for that mercy and that cleansing from my sin, certainly that's not all that it takes. Oh, but it is. Religion has nothing to do with it. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. That's what... Faith in Jesus Christ is. It doesn't have anything to do with a religion. It has everything to do with the relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, I'm this religion, so uh, this is what my faith tells me I must do. It doesn't have anything to do with your religion. It has everything to do with what Jesus Christ did for you. It has everything to do with what the Bible says about how to be saved. I don't care what some man tries to tell me I have to do in order to be saved. I'll trust God. I'll take God at his word. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was a sinner. I am a sinner. And yet, in the middle of Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, came and died on that cross. And when, I, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He knew that I was going to come along. He knew that I was going to be a sinner. He knew that I was going to need a Savior. And yet he died for me. He commended, he gave his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Your sins have already been paid for when Jesus Christ died on the cross. 
There's nothing left that has to be done other than accept Jesus Christ and his gift on the cross. All the works that we can try to do to earn that salvation count for nothing. The same way that if Jesus Christ had told those lepers, hey, you go show yourself to the priest, and they say, okay, well, uh, let me go dunk in the Jordan River first. Okay, go dunk in the Jordan River. Fine, it's not going to do anything for you. Well, uh, let, me go, let me go get all the money that I have left out of the bank and give it to you. Fine, get all the money you have out of the bank and give it to me. It's not going to do anything for you. I told you to go show yourself to the priest. You do what I said. You do it in faith, and that's what will get you cleansed. Nothing else. And the same is true with us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I can't do enough good works. I can't do enough good things. No. Oh, well, let me go get baptized for, for salvation. Fine, go get baptized. It's not going to do you any good for salvation. Well, let me go to church every Sunday for the next year. Fine, go to church every Sunday for the next year. Let me give money. Let, let me give you all the money that I have in my bank account. Maybe that will Fine, do it. But that's not going to help you get any closer to heaven because it's not by works. It's by faith. You do it the way that Jesus Christ said to do it. He said, come unto me. Call unto me and I'll answer you. Show you great and mighty things that which thou knowest not. Right? He'll give us that home in heaven. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Christianity is not a do religion. Christianity is a believe religion. I don't do this to be saved. I believe and therefore I'm saved. It's not about a specific church or specific religion. It's about coming to Jesus Christ for salvation the way that he said we need to come. Those lepers had rejected what Jesus Christ told them to do. They would never have been healed. Those who die and go to hell, as I've said many times before, die and go to hell with their sins paid for. Jesus Christ already did that work. He already paid the price. He already did everything that needs to be done. We need to accept what he's done by faith. Trust that he'll do what he said he's going to do and that he'll take away my sins. See, the disease of the colony, the deliverance of the captives, and lastly, the debt of the cleansed. Look in verse number 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Ten were healed, but only one came back to give him thanks. Luke says he fell on his face before the Lord. And why not? He's been healed of his leprosy. Could you imagine if you had some disease and somebody someday walked up to you and said, hey, I'm healing you. That disease is gone. And you knew it was gone. It was not just some fake, fake service that you were watching on TV or something like that where people are falling all over the place and doing all this kind of real thing. Somebody came and, and you got healed. Could you imagine how thankful you would be for that person? I'll give you anything. What do you want? Tell me. At the very least, let me, let me say thank you. I don't know how to tell you thanks, but I'm doing it the best way that I can. 
Right? That's what that leper did. I don't know what to do. I don't have any money. I don't know what to say, but thank you. Thank you. And he fell down on his face before Jesus Christ. For years, he was a leper, living in this remote corner, separated from his family, forgotten by his friends, cut off from his own people. And suddenly, that disease vanishes because this man healed you. This twisted limp, the crooked fingers, the atrophied, uh, atrophied muscles, in less time than it takes to tell the story, the disease and all the ugly uh, uh, consequences of that disease are pulled from his body, leaving not a single trace behind. He stretches his arms. You imagine, here's this guy who, who cannot even move his muscles anymore, and now he can stretch his arms above his head. This guy who, who could probably barely walk because of this disease is now walking faster than he's ever walked, and he realizes, hey, not only can I walk, I can run. And not only can I run, I can jump and I can shout, and I can say, thank you, I can get down on my face. And thank Jesus Christ for what he's done. He's whole again. He's healthy again. He's clean again. He's no longer an outcast. No wonder he shouted. I think I would too. But it's pretty interesting here. Luke adds, Luke adds at the end of verse 16 that this man was a Samaritan. He was from the wrong race. He, was, he, he had the wrong religion. He had the worst possible disease. In religious matters, this Samaritan knew almost nothing. And what he knew was probably mostly wrong. But he knew Jesus had healed him, and he knew enough to be grateful to God. Luke doesn't say directly, but I think he implies that the other nine were Jews. Because Jesus, later on, he says, verse number 18, There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. If that's so, then what this story really means is that those who should have been the most grateful weren't. And one man who shouldn't have come back did. Jesus asked a couple of penetrating questions. Were there not ten cleansed? Yes. Where are the nine? Gone. I don't know. I, I, I can't hardly blame them in some ways because they're so excited. They probably ran to tell the priest, and then they ran from the priest back to their homes to tell their family, hey, I've been healed. But what about the one who did the healing? Perhaps they were too busy to come back. Sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? You look at these 10 lepers, and they all appear to be alike. All of them had leprosy. All of them were outcasts from society. All of them were determined to do something about it. All of them had heard that Jesus could do something about it and believed that he would. All of them appealed to him. All of them obeyed his word. All of them were healed. On the outside, they all appeared identical. But what a difference. One returned. Nine went on. One was grateful. Nine were not. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. When we come to the realization of what God's done in our lives, we can do nothing but thank him. Gratitude is one of the highest duties of the believer. Boy, over and over and over, we're given commands in the Bible to be thankful. And how sad that is that we have to be commanded to be thankful. Wouldn't it just be, shouldn't it just be something that flows out of our heart because we're so glad and so thankful and so overjoyed of what Jesus Christ has already done for us? Ingratitude is the leprosy of the soul. It eats away in the inside. It destroys our happiness. It cripples our joy. It withers our compassion. It paralyzes our praise. And it makes us numb to all the blessings of God. When I realize the goodness of God, personally, particularly to me, not in general, but what God has done for me, how can I not go back and thank him? A lot of verses command us to thank God. We see there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. In every Thing, 
everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 100 verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. When we finally look and see what God has done, when we finally count our blessings, we sang that song, count your many blessings. Boy, if we were to start counting our blessings, we'd surely forget very quickly how bad we have some of the things that we claim to be are so bad. Now, I'm not saying that we don't go through difficult times. We do have some difficult times. But when we start to count our blessings and we start to thank God for what he's actually done for us, boy, they far outweigh and they far outnumber those things that we have to really complain about. But when we finally look around and see it, what, what God's done, and we start to count our blessings and we start to name them one by one, that's when we begin to praise. That's when we begin to give. That's when we begin to sing. That's when we begin to serve. And when we finally learn that we were born lepers, when we finally see what Jesus Christ has done for us, when it finally breaks through to us, then we do like this leper. We come running gladly. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse number 15 says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Have you ever gotten a gift that was so valuable you were speechless when you got it? Have you ever gotten something from somebody who said, I, I, I don't know what to say. I can't believe you did that for me. I can't believe you, you would give me this. That's what he's talking about, this unspeakable gift. I, I don't even have words, but I can bow down before you. I can get on my face before God and I can just say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. What else do you say? That unspeakable gift is Jesus Christ. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior need to be reminded to thank him for what he gave them when he saved us. Those who have never accepted Jesus Christ are rejecting that gift, and it's one of the most unthankful things that we could ever do. You've been given life. You've been given breath. You've been given everything that you have, and yet you're going to reject that unspeakable gift of Jesus Christ. How ungrateful can we be? Imagine how you'd feel if you worked and worked to save money for a wonderful gift and your kid threw it back at you because you didn't spend enough money. I'd take everything else they had and they wouldn't get anything. I'd tell you that much right now. But imagine how you'd feel if you gave it to somebody that you loved and they said, this? You saved up for this? I don't want that. Imagine how that would make you feel or because he was too busy with his other toys, or because he just didn't believe that you would do that for him, he never opened it up. Could you imagine? There's that one tree, one, one, one present sitting under the tree, the most valuable one, the one that you've been waiting for them to open, the one that you've been waiting to, for them to see what it is so you can see the joy on their face, and they, eh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that there for now. And uh, next Christmas, they pull it back out again. Oh, it's still there. Yeah, never mind. I'll just leave it there. There'll be plenty of time to open that up. I'm just a kid. I've got plenty of time in my life. I don't need that. Well, it's so valuable. You don't know what it is. Go open the gift. Go, go, go accept that gift. Eh, all right. One of these days, I'll do it. When I find time, I'll open that gift up. No, that, that's exactly what we do with Jesus Christ. 
He died on the cross. He gave us that gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, the Bible says. And he's offering that gift to us. And so many people are in this world today and maybe even in this auditorium this morning saying, eh, I'll get to it someday. I'm busy right now. I got too much going on in my life. I'll get to it. I'm not saying that I'm not thankful for it. You understand. But one of these days, today's not the day. Jesus Christ gave his all. He gave his life. When we reject him because we don't realize how important his death was or because we're too busy with our toys or because we just don't believe that he would do that for someone like us, we're essentially telling him, hey, thanks, but no thanks. And what an ungrateful thing to do. Ten men were healed that day, but only one came back to give thanks. Are you living like the nine or like the one? Far too many of us take our blessings for granted. We groan about the, the duties that we have in serving Jesus Christ. Oh, it's so hard being a Christian. Oh, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I have to do this, and I have to do that. And Life is so hard as a Christian. And we, so fo- we get so focused on all the things that are difficult in the Christian life instead of all the blessings that we have as a result of being a Christian. Praise is a choice. A thankful heart is a choice that you make. Nobody's forced into bitterness. You choose the way you live. The one who returned to give thanks chose not to forget what Jesus Christ had done for him. The secret of a thankful heart is a conscious choice not to forget what God's done for you. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Perhaps you're in here this morning and you don't understand what the excitement is about because you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have plenty to be thankful for because you live in America. Because you have a God that's given you so much. But maybe you've not experienced the joy and the peace that comes by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Don't wait. The most grateful thing that you can do, the most most thankful, the, most, the, the, the best way to show your thankfulness and your gratitude is by accepting that gift of Jesus Christ's death on the cross to cover your sins. But if you are saved, what a shame it is for us not to be on our face before him, thanking him for what he's done. David, in Psalm 51, when he sinned and lost that fellowship and, and, and that fellowship was broken between him and God, and God pointed that sin out to him through Nathan, and Nathan pointed that bony finger in his chest and said, Thou art the man. You're the one that I'm talking to. And David's heart was broken before God. One of the things that he pointed out in Psalm 51 is what? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. There is joy in salvation, whether you've been saved for 30 minutes or 30 years. And we need to keep that same joy. Boy, you see the excitement on somebody's face. And you see, you see Nitin's excitement from when he got saved and from when he led these other people to Christ. You want to keep the joy of your own salvation? I'll tell you how to do it. Go lead other people to Christ. There's nothing like reminding you about your own salvation than when you lead somebody else to Jesus Christ. There is no feeling like that in the world. Helping somebody else come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that's what I'm trying to help you do this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ, accept him today. If you do, go show them that you love him. Go show them that you're thankful. Go show them that you care by telling other people about Jesus Christ. What an opportunity we have 
We're coming into the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. People are more open during this time of year, I think, than they are at any other time. They think more about death, more about dying. Do you know that more people uh, uh, commit suicide and more people die around Christmas time than any other time of the year? People are thinking about it, and you ought to be too. Share the message of the gospel. Use every opportunity you have. They're dying. They're going to hell without Jesus Christ unless somebody shows them how they can be saved. Jesus Christ wants you to be saved too, and he wants you to tell others. Once you do it, where are the nine? Are you in that group? Are you the one that came back and said thank you? I sure hope that describes you this morning. Father, we love you. Give me thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you so much for the story that we have here in the Word of God and what a reminder it is to us, not only of what you've done for us, but how thankful we should be because of it. God, I, I pray that if there is somebody in this auditorium this morning that does not know for sure that if they died today, they'd go to heaven. I'm so thankful for the privilege of being able to know that the moment I take my last breath on this earth, I'm going to take my first breath in heaven. I pray that if there is anybody that does not have that settled, that they would get that settled today. God, that you would impress upon their heart and that they would have no rest, that they have no peace till they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. What a tremendous thing it is that you've done for us. I pray that you'd help those who are saved to never forget it. And because of that, God, I pray that you'd help us to be the witnesses for you that you want us to be. Pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Pray that you continue to use the message to help us move in the direction that you want us to, to help us have the relationship with you that you want us to have. And God, where decisions need to be made this morning, I pray that they would. Well, thank you for all you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you